Christmas time, and I don't know about you, but it gets to the end of August, and I'm a summer, I'm a summer person. If, if it was up to me, I would have summer all year long, 40-degree weather. It's never too hot. That's, that's, I know Jamil's like, amen, preach. Um, but it gets to the end of August, and people start saying, oh, next thing is Christmas. And you're just like, no, Christmas is decades away, and next thing, it's Christmas week. And it just creeps up on you. I know that in our house... Uh, Christmas just creeped up on us, and our house has no Christmas tree, no decorations. Ruben and I were just like, you know what, we have no time for presents, no presents for us. Jade's not getting any presents. Jamil was saying yesterday, her present is free housing for 18 years, free food for 18 years, free everything pretty much for 18 years. So I think I'll do that uh, every Christmas uh, for the next 18 years. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's Christmas and last Last week, Ruben began a series, it is just a two-part series that we've done on Christmas, called It Was God's Plan. Christmas was God's plan. And you'd think that the Bible in Matthew chapter 1, beginning the New Testament, he's about to tell the most amazing story ever told, and you'd think that he would begin with, once upon a time, there was a boy. But no, he doesn't begin that way. Ruben read to us how Matthew begins. He begins with... And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, and Judah was the father of blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read it again. I'm not going to say it all again because we went through that uh, last week. I wouldn't be able to pronounce half the names on there as Reuben did very well. But Reuben explained to us in reading the genealogy, I think it goes for like 15 or 18 verses, just this guy was the father of that guy, was the father of that guy, and then he puts in a woman now and then. Um, but Reuben explained to us last week how this genealogy isn't just a seemingly boring way to begin a story. It's not just a historical narrative to make the story a bit more factual. The genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it actually reveals to us that Jesus was the incredible plan of an unfailing, loving father. It reveals to us the power of the story that Jesus wasn't just a nice man that lived. Jesus wasn't just a nice and a wise teacher that lived. Jesus was the very son of God. Jesus was the one that had been promised. Jesus was the savior, the Messiah that had been promised for years and years and years, since the beginning of time, actually. It's interesting if we go right to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, God makes man and he makes woman so that he might have relationship with them. This is God's plan, a beautiful relationship with his people. But because love is true, love has to be free. And so he says, you can follow my plan or you can follow your own plan. And so he gives them a choice. And in Genesis chapter 3, they decide to follow their own ways. They decide, you know, God, like, this is cool, but, but we're going to do our own thing. And so they turn and they sin, and sin falls into the world. And it's right there and then, when sin separates us from God, that God puts his plan in action straight away. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking to Satan at this point. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right there, right in the beginning, we have the first promise of a savior. 
God says, yes, sin has separated us. Yes, there, we, we have to, we, we can't be in the same place because I'm holy and I can't cohabitate with unholiness, but I will provide a way. I will make a way. I will send a savior that will save them. You might strike his heel on the cross. He might be persecuted. He might even die, but he will crush your head when he resurrects and he saves my people and they are reconciled and restored to me again. This is what we call proto-evangelium in theological terms. The first promise of a savior. The English preacher Charles Simeon, he called this verse the sum and summary of the whole Bible. Right there in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus actually, he comes years and years and years later. He is the promise and he says that he is the Messiah. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus is walking into the temple. And when he walks into the temple, just like any other Jew would do, he's handed a scroll. And that scroll is of a chapter in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 had been written at least 600 years before Jesus. And he decides to read this one scripture. Jesus gets up and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Now maybe in our culture and because we're not so familiar with the Old Testament as they were, maybe that doesn't stand out to us or maybe it's not as powerful. But in those times and in that time, everyone knew exactly what this first revert to. Everyone knew exactly what it meant. Everyone knew when Jesus says these words, the Hebrew word for Messiah is Meshiach, which literally means the anointed one. Now Jesus gets up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I am the anointed one. And not only does he choose to read the scripture, but the Bible says, he goes a step further. He says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I mean, I can only imagine the presence of Jesus. Have you ever been around a leader that is his presence is almost intimidating. You don't even know what to do around that person. The Bible says that that day as Jesus read that scripture, everyone's eyes were fastened on him, thinking, what is he going to say next? What is he going to do next? And Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has been promised. I am the one who is here to save you. I am the one who God has promised to your people and to all people. I am the Savior. And so we have two options. Either we think that Jesus was crazy, that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus was heretical. I mean, Jesus wasn't just going around teaching. Jesus wasn't around going around just healing and being nice to people, being nice to the poor, and, and doing all these nice things that we can see as an example. Jesus was saying that he was the Son of God. Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah. And so we either think that he is crazy, out of his mind, this guy is totally nuts and a liar, or he's the truth. Or he is who he says he is. Or he is the Messiah. The one who came to save me. The one who came to save you. The one who came to heal the brokenhearted. 
the one who came to die on the cross, that all who believe in him may have abundant life, not only in this life, but in the next. We either decide that this man is crazy or that he is the truth. So God reveals his plan to us through Jesus Christ. Last week, Reuben, Reuben's message was called God's Plan Revealed. And he explains how through the genealogy, God reveals his plan through Jesus. And this week, I want to preach a message called God's Plan Embraced. Because what I'm trying to say is that the revelation of God's plan through Jesus, it confronts us with a decision to embrace it or not. Either we accept his plan and we allow him to completely define who we are and who we're meant to be, or we make our own plan. We say no to it all and we follow our own ideas of our purpose, our meaning, and who we think we should be in this life. So as we come near to Christmas, we focus on the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. The moment where we begin to really see, not only was it prophesied, but we begin to really see the plan in action. And now there had been detailed prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, and it's beautiful to see the prophecies and how they come true. Even today we see prophecies coming true. And there had been so many prophecies, and the Jews at the time, they were aware of these prophecies. They read the Old Testament. They knew the law. And Isaiah says in chapter 7, quite a detailed prophecy. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. The Jews believed this. They knew that the Bible said, they knew that the law said this. They knew Isaiah's promise that the virgin would give birth to a son. So quite honestly, I'm not sure what they were expecting. See, sometimes I think that we read the Bible, we even memorize verses, but we don't really expect it to come to life in our lives. Yeah, we read of God healing people. We read of even Jesus raising people from the dead. But when we're sick, no, God can't really heal me. It's there, but he's not going to do it in my life. We read of how God's love is so unfailing, is so beautiful. We see God's love in action in other people's life, but it surely it can't apply to me. No, I've sinned too much. Yeah, Jesus chose Peter and Jesus chose Judas that would even betray me, but, but that's then. It's not really for me. And the Bible says that when Mary, a virgin, is found pregnant through the Holy Spirit, Joseph was ready to divorce her quietly. This plan is too crazy. Okay, Mary, I hear what you're saying. I hear that you're pregnant through the Holy Spirit, but I know that it's written I know that it's there, but nah, you can't be serious. This can't, this can't be happening to me. The plan of God was being revealed, and now Joseph, as well as Mary, they had to decide whether they would embrace the plan or choose to say no to it all. You see, we talk about Mary and Joseph quite casually, as if this is a nice fairy tale where then a woman got pregnant, and then they got together, and they parented the Son of God. But this is a true story, and if you believe that it's a true story, then this was an incredible, difficult decision that they had to make. 
Do they choose to embrace this crazy plan? Or do they choose to say no? They had a choice. And Joseph was actually going to say no. And the truth is that so many people choose to say no. So many people all around the world, maybe even people here today, choose to say no. Yeah, okay, I can agree with you that maybe God exists. And maybe God wants to do something in my life. Maybe he has a plan for my life, but I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want any part of it. I just want to live my own life. Leave me alone. Let me live my own plan. And after reading the story of Christmas and after being a Christian for a while, I have found that there are three reasons why we so often resist the plan of God for our lives. Number one, we don't understand the plan. Number two, we don't trust the plan. And number three, we don't feel that we are capable of following the plan. And I want to look through these today, and I want to look at the story of Mary and Joseph. What made them embrace the plan? So let's study the story. What made Mary and Joseph embrace the plan when the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she will conceive and give birth to Jesus? She reacts by asking, quite naturally, quite normal. I think anybody else in her position would ask the same question. She says, wait, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? In other words, she says, wait, 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 wait. Okay, there's an angel in front of me. This is, this is serious. Something's happening here. But I hear what you're saying, and I hear, I hear kind of similarities of things that I've read and things that I know that are written, but how will this happen? I know how babies are made, and this is not the way. This doesn't make sense. Your plan doesn't make sense. And the first thing that we have to realize is that God's plan won't always make sense because God is essentially different from us. I think that we often, and, I, and, and I, as I was thinking about this this week, it was such a revelation for me. I think that we often think of God as what we would be like if we were at our best. And so God is like superhuman. God is my best qualities combined with Mary's best qualities, combined with Daniel's best qualities and Reuben's best qualities, and voila, you have God, a superhuman God. But the Bible says, Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, there's not even any comparison. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is vastly different from us. He thinks beyond our scope of time and space and human logic. He doesn't conform to our purpose. We fit into his. I remember when we felt God ask us to start the Lisbon Project two and a half years ago and to plant this church, the plan most definitely didn't make any sense. And, and there's a lot of things in my life that God has asked me to do that don't make any sense. How would Reuben and I live off of what money? Where would the church be? Who would serve with us? Who would take up the chairs that you're sitting in now? It didn't make any sense. God was calling us to do something that was so far beyond what we could understand. 
And yet when we understand that God thinks and does things differently, we're able to embrace the plan. Our testimony over the past two years is that his ways are more, most definitely higher than our ways. We have seen and experienced more than our human plans could have ever conjured or imagined. And it doesn't make sense that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, would choose to be born in a stable amongst animals, to live a life where the more that he loved, the more that he was persecuted. It doesn't make sense that God would be willing to lay down his life for me, and not only for me, but for everyone. It doesn't make sense that God would be willing to send his son to die for rapists, to die for killers, to die for those who lie, to those who are jealous, those who covet, those who gossip, those who are corrupt. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would die, lay down his life, not only for those who would accept him, but he would die for those who would reject him. It doesn't make sense, but he did because his love is so intrinsically different from us. Though you might not quite comprehend his love today, though you might not quite fully grasp God's plan, I challenge you to embrace it. I challenge you to be open to it. Number two, we don't trust the plan. That's the second reason that I find we so often resist the plan because we don't trust it. Now, I don't know how many of you have met my father. Show of hands, who's met Pastor Eddie? Quite a few of you. He's the big dude with tattoos and piercings. He just got an, another tattoo this week, just impulsively. Um, but he's pretty crazy, and he's made some pretty crazy plans in his life. And uh, I don't know how genetics works, but the crazy gene, I think, passed on to me because my dad and I are like partners in crime. Growing up, we, everything radical, everything that had the element of danger, instead of wanting to go away from it, we would just be drawn to it. I love doing all sorts of crazy things with my dad. My mom, my sisters, not so much. Uh, I remember being uh, 14 and my dad stops on the side of the highway and he says, hey, you want to drive? We're on his Yamaha FJR. 1300, I'll never, I mean, forget the, the make. And he said, do you want to drive? And now this is a big bike because my dad's a big guy. And, and, and I'm thinking, but I don't even know how to drive a motorcycle. He's like, just sit here in front and I'll be in the back. And somehow I drove his motorcycle, not just at 80 kilometers an hour, 120. I was going at 190 kilometers an hour. We have a video with our friend next to us videoing. It was not a safe plan, but it was a fun plan. And I remember it to this day. We had a great bonding time over a near-death experience that now I evaluate it as such. Um, but he's pretty crazy. And uh, this week, him and my mom, they went to, um, they went to Cape Verde to celebrate their 30th anniversary. Now my mom is not into radical sports or anything adrenaline-like, but she's stuck around for 30 years following my dad's 
crazy plans. Most of the time resisting them and choosing to opt out and take photos, but sometimes he convinces her. And on Thursday, he actually convinced her to go along on one of his plans. And they were driving in this four by four out in the middle of nowhere when my dad decides, you know what? Okay, roads are cool, but they're kind of boring. So let's go off the road. And uh, basically his plan uh, ended in this photo. <laughs> they got completely, completely stuck. And if you zoom in, my mom is, is not amused. I was at work on Thursday and I just cried laughing. If you know my mom, this is even funnier, but she was just not amused. And the next photo is even funnier because the guys who came to help got even more stuck than them. And so uh, instead of laying on a beach like my mom would have enjoyed doing on her holiday, she spent about three hours uh, trying to get unstuck from my dad's crazy plans. And so there's a reason that my mom resists my plans. Because she has been stuck one too many times. She's been lost one too many times. She's fallen off jet skis and been stuck in the middle of nowhere uh, too many times. She knows that she can't fully trust my dad's plans. And often, we don't embrace God's plans because we've been stuck one too many times as well. Our plans have led us to disappointment. Our plans have led us to hurt. Our plans have led us to betrayal. Is God's plan truly different? Is his plan truly the best for me? Can I really trust it? And I find it beautiful that although the plan was somewhat bizarre, to say the least, Mary and Joseph embraced it fairly quickly. The Bible says in Matthew, after the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph explaining the plan, Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. We don't read him hesitating. I mean, this guy was about to say no to it all. This guy was about to be even a nice guy and divorce her quietly. He could have done so much more, but he was about to follow his own plan. Then he hears from the angel. He hears the plan, and the Bible says he woke up and he obeyed. Mary was just as quick, if not quicker. In her exchange with the angel, after Mary asked, okay, what's the plan? How will this work out exactly? I'm not sure I understand. After the angel explains a bit further in Luke chapter 1, we read her simply replying, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She embraced the plan straight away. Why were they so quick? How were they so quick to embrace a crazy plan? My answer is that I find in the word because they trusted the one who was making the plan. Mary knew that she was God's servant. She tells the angel herself, I am the Lord's servant. And she knows that when God makes a plan, he is absolutely sure of it. He's not like us that's not sure what's going to happen or, or maybe this will work out or maybe we'll make a plan B. God doesn't need a plan B because plan A always works. God is sure of his plan. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we read, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Mary and Joseph embraced the plan because they trusted God. They trusted that his plans are truly good, that he truly works all things together for the good of those who love him. Mary and Joseph were all in 
because they knew the one who was calling them to go beyond themselves. And maybe you've been through some things. Maybe you've been hurt or disappointed by people. Maybe your life isn't quite what you'd like it to be. The scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Do you trust God when he says that his plans are to give you hope and a future? Even when there is pain. Even when things don't seem to make sense. Even when he's taking too long. Even when he's not bringing healing. Even when he's not sparing you from suffering. Do you trust him that his plan for you is good? This morning I challenge you to embrace his plan. To trust his promise. That whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And lastly, we often resist God's plan because we feel we aren't capable of following it. See, God's plans are insane. God's plans don't make sense. One plus one is not two for God. One plus one can actually be 3,000 or 5,000 because God is supernatural. He doesn't think like us. He's different from us. His plans are most of the times quite insane. I think if I knew what my life's going to be like in 10 years, I would be petrified. That's the reason why God only tells me one day at a time what he wants for me because his plans are crazy. God's plan leads two unknown people from an unlikely place to parent the Son of God. God's plans lead someone like David, a shepherd boy, an unlikely person, to slay a giant and become the greatest king of Israel. God's plan chooses someone like Peter, unschooled, emotional wreck, <laughs> to be one of the greatest evangelists and a leader of the early church of Christ. See, God's plan will dare you and challenge you to go beyond your capability, your qualifications, and your experience. In fact, God has a habit of choosing the unqualified. You see, sometimes people ask me, and they're surprised by my age, whoa, you're, you're heading up the Lisbon Project but you're 25, how does that happen? And I don't mean this in an arrogant way at all. I'm saying this exactly because I am unqualified for the Lisbon Project to be what it is today. Reuben and I do not have the experience to lead a church that we're leading today. We're not qualified to do what we're doing today. But God has a habit of choosing the things that are weak in this world. The Bible says... But God has chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. When the angel appears to Joseph, he reminds him of Jesus' name. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As God reveals this crazy plan to Joseph and calls him to follow it, he reminds him that he is not alone. Jesus is coming, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's plan doesn't depend on us. It's fully funded by him. It's fully strategized and implemented by him. God has all the resources. His plan is up to him. 
God with us means that we're never alone. In Christ, we have freedom from worry and from anxiety. We can follow him in joy and in peace and in trust, knowing that it's up to him. When our sins made it impossible for us to come to him, God took the outrageous step of coming to us. In so many other religions, it's all about what you can do to get to God, what you can do to save yourself, what you can do to atone your sins. And yet, here we have Jesus, the Son of God, that comes to us. In Jesus, we see how extreme God's love is. In fact, the Bible is nothing if not the story of God's persistent desire to dwell with his people. Embracing God's plan for your life is not about what you can do for him. It's about believing in what he has already done for you. That's the point of Christmas. That Jesus came for us to reconcile us with him. He's paid the price. He's done it all. For whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So as I call the worship team up and as I close, maybe you identify with one of these three reasons of why you completely want nothing to do with the plan or why sometimes in your life it feels like you can't quite embrace it fully. Maybe you identify with all three. Maybe you don't understand the plan. But I want to challenge you that God is essentially different from us. God's love is so much deeper, is so much greater. God's love is unfailing. I don't even fully understand what unfailing love is, what unconditional love is. But that's who God is. I challenge you. If this is why you're resisting the plan, get to know him. Open the word. Maybe this Christmas, just open the word. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus that said he was the son of God, who is he? And as you get to know him, it might become a little easier to follow him. Maybe you don't trust the plan. Maybe you've been hurt too many times. Maybe you can't quite bring yourself to trust God. His word says that who, those who trust in him will not be disappointed. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean that everything will work perfectly well in my life. Being a Christian doesn't mean that I won't get hurt, that I won't be betrayed, that I won't be disappointed by people, that I'll have an easy life. Jesus never did. Jesus was the very son of God, and he was betrayed. He was mocked. He was killed. I will be hurt by people, but my God will always love me. My God will always make sure that my life produces fruit wherever I go, whatever I experience, wherever I am. My life will always have meaning and produce fruit for his glory, for the sake of his name. Maybe... You feel you aren't capable of following the plan. I don't want a Christian because I can't, 
I don't want to be a Christian because I don't know how. Embracing God's plan is about believing what he did on the cross and allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us. God is with us and his mercy is able to work something new in your life. If being a Christian is about doing everything right and about being perfect, then I am failing miserably. But being a Christian is not about what I can do. It's about what God can do for me and through me and with me. God with us. Embracing God's plan is saying, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't even follow my own plans, never mind yours. God, I need you. Take me to places I've never imagined. Take me to meet people and to love people in a way that I am physically incapable of doing. Give me power to forgive. Give me power to be patient. Give me power to dream. Give me power to chase after the dreams. Open doors for me that I can't open. God wants to implement his plan for your life in you. God has beautiful things in store for you. God created you. The Bible says, God has knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows every hair on my head. This is the God that we serve, that although he is majestic, although he is Lord of lords and King of kings, Lord over the universe, he knows my heart. He knows what I feel when I wake up in the morning. He knows my struggle when I go to sleep at night. He knows, the Bible says that he makes prayers out of our silent groans. It's not up to you. Just let go. Follow him. And the Holy Spirit will work through you and in you. I find following God the greatest adventure. If you're into adrenaline, then being a Christian is pretty crazy and radical because God just keeps taking you beyond what you are capable of if you only trust in him knowing that he is able to work all things new he is able to direct your steps he is able to provide where he calls he is able to bring the right people he is able to give you the strength that you need he is able to pick you up when you fall he is able to heal you when you need his healing he is able to love you in a way that you have never experienced before because we are incapable of love in that manner so we're going to sing the, this next song, and I just want you to have a conversation with this Jesus. This Jesus who says he is the Son of God. This Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This Jesus that is being celebrated all over the world. This Jesus that changed the human calendar. This Jesus. Have a conversation with him. What is your plan for my life? Did you really die for me? Do you really have a plan to use me? Do you really want to do something in my life? 
have a conversation with him, a conversation that we call prayer with this Jesus.